Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL, here with my best friends, Tim Miller and Sarah Longwell of The Bulwark. Guys, New Hampshire is done and in the books and maybe a tiny bit surprising. And now, you know, there's a month to go. Anything could happen and we're not going to declare this thing over because that's what the Democrats want us to do. I, You know what? Sarah, I want to go to you first. Just initial thoughts. Talk to me. Ryan Binkley, he still has a shot. Don't Binkley. say it so. Have you thought about Binkley? Binkley's still in. Hmm. Yeah. I, I have no idea. Not I've, not, I've not thought that much about Binkley. Can I just tell you, Binkley first came to my attention live on television. Well, actually not live, but I was taping PBS show. And this woman in Iowa kept bringing up Ryan Binkley as someone she really liked. And at some point I had to stop her and say, ma'am, I'm sorry, but I don't know who that is. He's gotten scant attention, but he is some Texas pastor, and uh, he is still in this race. Anyway, so is Nikki Haley. My first thoughts are are straightforward and simple. The race is over. Nikki Haley, as she's moving, going on, I'm not sure why. She's going to get killed in her home state. I, I would like to take bets with all of you on whether or not she actually goes through with South Carolina. I mean, it sounds like she's got the dollars. She thinks that Getting in, you know, 11 points is enough to, what is it? What do they say? Punch the ticket out of New Hampshire. Ticket to ride. Um, yeah, I do have bad. bad news, though, which is if you look at any of the numbers and you separate them out between independents and Republicans, she did terrible with Republicans. Horrible. Horrible. Her voters are all independents. And undeclared voters, many of whom, as we know from the focus groups we've done, are MSNBC watching Democrats who turned out to vote against Trump. These voters do not exist in these other states. There's no path. There's no math. Uh, God bless her for fighting. Wait, so you're saying that Republicans are the ones who want to elect Donald Trump? I am, indeed. Because that's not what I've been told. I have seen things from Twitter. And in fact, Nikki Haley last night in her don't call it a victory speech specifically said that it's the Democrats who want to anoint Donald Trump and make the, is that not true? Here's the thing. It is a little bit true, right? There is an element of like, do, hold on a second, Tim. I can see your face, grumpy face. Uh, <laughs> it's not really true at all, but go ahead. Hold let's on. Hear it, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Forget Democrats. Does Joe Biden, has his plan all along been, yeah, like it's going to be me and Trump. It's going to be Trump again. And uh, I think, of course, That's I think. different that, than wanting Trump though. Right? That's just recognizing reality. They like, think they can be Trump. Why spend your time planning for Nikki Haley when you know she's not going to win? Okay, but they think they can be Trump, and I think they like the contrast. That is different, though, from saying all Democrats want Trump. What what we know, right, is like it's different. There's a political calculation of who do I think I can beat, and I think that's in there. That's different, though, from saying Democrats want Trump. It's more that we know this is where the Republican Party is. We know that's who they're going to nominate. And by nominating lunatics, that has set Democrats up uh, to win a lot of races that they might not have had Republicans put up normal people. I, I think that most Democrats want Trump to be in jail. I think that's like almost yeah, a unanim right. unanimous uh, view of Democrats from Joe Biden all the way down to your rank and file person in 
in wherever, Franconia, New Hampshire, okay, that crossed over yesterday to vote for Nikki Haley, who they hate. So I just, I think the Democrats basically want Donald Trump to go away, and I do bristle when assholes that have provided cover for Donald Trump for years on the Republican side are like, the media and the Democrats, the never-Trumpers really want Trump. He sustains them. I'm like, we have an entire media outlet dedicated to opposing Donald Trump. Like, we're... All of Sarah, at least, and I'm on a board of groups that exist solely to stop Donald Trump. Like all my whole brain has been consumed with for eight years is getting rid of this piece of shit that is a wart on the ass of our country. And like, so, yeah, I want him to go away. I want him to. You know what I want to happen to him? Everybody knows. So please stop accusing me of wanting Donald Trump. I don't want him for the content. I don't want the retweets that bad. It'd be fine. I could I could write about something else. I promise. So can I can I can I throw a little bit of data? at you guys because i've been somewhat obsessed with this question for the last like 18 months since it started coming from the the twitter feeds and national review and we we did a poll of bulwark subscribers not science but you know a few thousand people responded and i specifically framed the question as would you prefer that donald trump was the nominee if it meant that Joe Biden had a better chance of winning re-election, or would you prefer it was some other Republican if it meant that that Republican then had a better chance to win election? And it was like 86 to 12 or something like that. Yeah. That they they preferred Trump not be the nominee. They were like, we'll take DeSantis, Haley, Scott, whoever it is, even if it means they beat our guy, Joe Biden. And I think that seems to be the sentiment. Yeah, and it was 94 to 6 last night in the exit polls about de- of Democrats who crossed over to vote for Nikki Haley. So I, anyway, this is it's very obvious what the truth is in all this. I think that to Sarah's point, I do agree that Joe Biden's been planning on running against Donald Trump, and that's yeah. because Trump just won in the largest landslide in the history of the Republican primary, okay? And, and this is another thing that I'm mad about this morning when you're looking at analysis. I was on very late last night with MSNBC. It's a lot of happy talk on the left about the weakness of the Donald Trump co- uh, coalition. We can talk about that. I'm happy that there is there are some green shoots for sure. And people on Twitter mad at me because I called it a landslide. And you know, left it's being like, Donald Trump is ba- was basically, it was the president. And he, he only got 54%. He only won by 11. This is a sign of his great <laughs> weakness. I guess it's a sign of some weakness. It is a sign of some weakness. But the guy tried a fucking coup. He has 91 indictments against him, and he's the only person ever in the Republican primary to sweep the first two contests, ever. It's never happened He's going to sweep all of them. He's going to sweep all of them. He's going to be the first one ever <laughs> to do it, okay? And, like, I, that, we've never had a race like this before. Even George W. Bush in 1999, who is also a quasi-incumbent, you know, running on his, his father's legacy— had horrible opponents. I, I mean, Trump's at least running against, was against running against the governor of Georgia, former governor of South Carolina, former ambassador. George Bush was running against John McCain, who was like barely a Republican, let's be honest, and a business guy and the wife of a candidate. Uh, George W. Bush had no type age, you know, class A challengers. He still gets annihilated in New Hampshire by McCain and then loses five other states. So this is unprecedented. When Donald Trump announced his campaign, what, 13 months ago? around Thanksgiving of 2022, no one showed up. 
His family didn't show up. Olivia Nuzzi wrote the great story for there from Mar-a-Lago where it's like Brickman was in the VIP section and, and, and the strategists were all whispering to her about how it's how sad it is when Brickman is the only guy that shows up. Matt Gates was pretending he had to wash his hair that day. He pretended that he that his even Matt Gates like pretended that, it, that there was bad weather in his flight. He was losing to DeSantis. So I just Sure, there were elements of this that were inevitable. Uh, JBL saw this coming. Many of us saw this coming pretty quickly. But, like, I, there could have been a campaign against him. Nobody decided to run a campaign. Uh, he's extremely dangerous. Uh, it's unbelievably dangerous. It's the first time we're going to ever have a nominee of a party that is that is threatening to end the constitutional republic as we know it. And, like... I, he's winning platform. pretty handily. He's winning pretty <laughs> handily. So I'm fucking annoyed when people are like, well, just focus on his weakness. Just like, oh, Donald, this is such terrible news for Donald Trump. It wasn't, it's not great. There's some warning signs for Trump. But it's really bad for us that this, this just malignant, felonious piece of shit is going to win all 50 states and basically every county. I mean, he, Nikki Haley won one county last night, and she won one in Iowa. And he's going to win like ninety nine point eight percent of the counties nationwide. So, like, it's not great, guys. It's not great. We well, can beat all him. All caps. Tim is on. We fire. can beat him, but let's not pretend like it's like <laughs> oh, it was all happy talk. It, it took at one thirty in the morning. I was like, guys, are, I mean, aren't we a little bit concerned? I, I just, I, I, I get a little bit. I feel like this needs to be said. I guess maybe on cable news they're not supposed to every hour be like, this is crazy, this is crazy, how is this happening? But I feel like that is probably more, more called for after what happened last night than like, let's look at Hillsborough County and how Donald Trump has some weakness there. Yeah, no. instead the entire media just walks around like, uh, you know, just like any other race, just like 2004. Boy, remember the 2004 race? Not all that different. <laughs> I so I want to ask a question um, of you two because I've I've written about it for the newsletter which is not out yet so you have an excuse for not having read it Sarah. Okay, great. I I think, read yesterday's. Go ahead. Yeah, on your own or were you prompted? You told me I had to read it, so I did. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that Nikki Haley's forty-three percent is actually enough to give her a platform to be Chris Christie for a month. And that if she were to be Chris Christie for a month, it would do enormous damage to Trump for the general election. And that she she could choose to do that. This isn't like saying, like, if only Nikki Haley could turn into an elephant, then it would be fine. Like, no, no, like, this is this is a possible thing. There are plenty of people who've done this. Adam Kinzinger has done this. Liz Cheney has done this. Chris Christie has done this. There are 16 other Republican officials who worked at high levels for Trump who who have done some version of this. Nikki Haley could absolutely choose to do that. She could spend the next four weeks doing three town halls a day and going on every TV show and just saying Donald Trump is unfit to be president. He can't be president again. We cannot do this. And if she did that, I think it would really hurt him for the general election. It would, it A, create it, again, the permission structures for all these normie Republicans to vote for Biden or at least not vote for Trump, create permission structures for other former Trump officials to speak out against him. It's, it's not crazy. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt her any more than just being sycophantic would, would hurt her. Like, her career's over. She will never win another election, right? I think that's true. Now, here, I, it's funny. Let me ask you a question, though. Does she endorse Trump? 
after that at the end? She doesn't, right? In your scenario. In, in my scenario, right. The choice she could make for America if she yeah. were a patriot yes. would be to to make this case and then at the end say, look, it would be great, be perfect if she endorsed Joe Biden. But better if she said, I'm not voting for Donald Trump and I don't think you should too. And, you know, we I will vote for a Republican. I'll work for good Republicans down the ballot because I believe in the Republican Party. I'm not a Democrat, right? She could do all that if she wanted to. It would be better if she just endorsed Biden. But she could do this work. This work would be important, I think. And I think her 43% gives her a platform to do that for four weeks. And going into her home state. So here, I was thinking about this in the car on the way down, which is, I was thinking about it a slightly different way, which I was just thinking about. A, I was composing a tweet in my head that said, if Nikki Haley goes kamikaze on Trump right now and refuses to endorse him, like, I will be like Liz Cheney for her, the way I feel about Liz Cheney. Like, I will love her forever. I will forgive all sins. I would. I, if no, she... no, no. I was, I was, that was my thinking face about whether I yeah. could do that. And I just, I just briefly decided in an instant that I could not. But I'm happy that you could. Go ahead. If she, if she does what JVL is talking about, she says he's unfit. She says all the things she wants to say. And she makes a hard case and then refuses to endorse him. Yeah. Yeah, because... My and it could matter, right? Do you, do you agree so, with me? Well, here's... I mean, I, I, I do not think... What, I forget what word you enormous. used to... He to used sig enormous. Yeah, to signify a large amount. But I think... It, does it make a marginal impact? Yes. The same way that uh, the reason I wrote that New York Times piece talking about all of the things that the generals and the cabinet members and the people who work for Trump have said and why they need to speak out now, it does make a difference to marginal voters. The green shoots that Tim is talking about is the number of sort of right-leaning independents and soft GOP voters that helped get Joe Biden elected that are part of the anti-Trump coalition. They are out there now saying even more forcefully they will under no circumstances vote for Donald Trump uh, in 2024, which is as they should. And I think that Donald Trump, it is my fervent hope that he finds himself presiding over what is obviously a much more energized Republican Party, but a much smaller Republican Party. They are, they, it, is, it will become a rump party that is, you know, devoted singularly to Trump that nobody else can sort of inherit that level of enthusiasm, but it will be a smaller party. And that is where the work starts, right? The work starts here today of siphoning off those people, of helping to build the permission structures to move them away from the Republican Party, this MAGA version of the Republican Party. And people like Nikki could be central to that if she were willing to do it. I the former optimist who's had it beaten out of me by reality over and over again, suspect that's not what's happening. Although I will say her speech last night was interesting. I mean, I did think it sounded like she was, she wasn't burning her boats, but she was like, But I wasn't know. it the same? I, this is the thing. I, I just feel like we're cursed and like I'm, I'm, I'm just living in a time warp where we relive 2016 over and over again. Like, was her speech meaningfully different from the kind of last couple speeches that Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz gave in 2016 or that Scott Walker gave right before he dropped out? I oh, just, I think it was much softer than anything those. Rubio and Cruz yeah, said. right. I mean, she has not said anything like Marco Rubio, who called him a con man who was out to destroy America and couldn't be trusted with nuclear codes. That's true, but the... The bar for fidelity now or the bar for loyalty is much higher than it was back then. Fair. Back then, you could torch Trump and still get let back on the team. And now, I mean, we didn't we haven't talked yet about his absolutely unhinged way he was responding to the yeah. fact that Nikki Haley was claiming 
not victory, but um, you know, a a because she, she did Close sort of to half. Yeah, she well, she did she did sort of overperform and yet fail to clear the bar she needed to keep going. Yeah, like yeah. both of those things are true, and so it sends just like enough of a weird mixed message. And so he's pissed about it that he didn't romp the way he romped in Iowa by 30 points. And so he started to, you know, go full insane. She, if she were to win, she would be investigated immediately and that kind yeah, of I stuff. Just, yeah, I, I don't, I want to talk about crazy Trump, but can I just give my, just on the Haley speech, just yeah. like the thing, my like big takeaway from it is though, is just, I can't help but be frustrated and angry again at another person, another group of people. But the Haley thing couldn't that have been the speech she was given for six months? Oh, totally. Like that's the thing that fucking bugs me so much, right? It's like I, I, I think that my Republican friends, my Republican consultant friends, the, the handful that still listen to this podcast and talk to me are like, well, you know, if you go, if you attack Trump too hard, you become Chris Christie. And I'm like, well, I, you know, not no. There was there's a medium ground between Chris Christie and what Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis did in this campaign, which was not meaningfully challenge Trump. And Nikki Haley got under his skin last night, and I don't think it would have made a difference. I don't think that she becomes a nominee. But I do think that she could have done just as well as she did, which was, according to the exit polls, get 25% of Republicans, even if that's off by a little bit, even if it's a third of Republicans. I think that she could have still got 33% of Republican votes running an actual campaign against Trump that that took him on directly, that trolled him over his dementia, that 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 called him a loser, that actually kind of put him on his back heels a little bit and made him run through the paces. But they didn't do that. They did the same thing as 2016. They did nothing. They play. They're, they're like, oh, anybody that suggested they attack him, like, oh, the the base likes him so much. I just have to let him call me bird brain and let me call, let him call me a moron while I talk about how great he is. And 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 then in the last gasp, when the campaign's over already, say the truth about him. And like we, they they all did that in 2016. It's the same shit that that these other guys did in 2016. Maybe not exactly the same tone, et cetera, but the same trajectory. Deceit like, just did for it. Us. Yeah, I know. Deceit, he just did it. He was like, these guys all bend the knee, kiss the ring, whatever. And like six days later, he kissed the ring. I know. So that's the frustrating part to me. Tim, what did, what do you think she said last night that got under Trump's skin? What part of what she did, like, do you think? bothered him well i think that the appearance of like acting like it was a good night just just like and that that he you know is is not undefeated that he's not undefeated uh, you know i think that he wanted full submission right so i think for starters there was that um but i do think that the dementia stuff uh, you know like talking about him not being on tele when he's off teleprompter like she does she goes up there and does the joke about you know how she didn't do security on January sixth, and the crowd laughs. Trump doesn't like to be laughed at, you know. Yeah. Like the crowd laughs at him. Um, so I think that stuff got under his skin again. And it wasn't it wasn't next level podcast level attacks, but it was you know she was poking him in a way that she had been unwilling to before. So I, I think that's it. And I, I told this, so I'll give you the bridge version. I said this last night with Bill, but like when you win, you want it to be your night. Even Saint Mitt Romney got very mad at John Huntsman in New Hampshire after we gave our third place victory speech and then had confetti cannons go off. And my friends who were with <laughs> Mitt in the room was like, it, that drove Mitt crazy. So if even sober Mitt, you know, can get a little annoyed when other people try to take their shine on a big night, uh, childish, emotional Trump, you know. Um, so I think kind of it was a combination of both those things. So I, I have made my pitch that this is a choice that she could make, that this choice would be meaningful, and that it is not like asking a pig to fly. 
Like it's a it's a real thing that other people have done that she could also do. Agree. Give me your odds that she does this. I'll give you mine. Zero point zero percent. Oh. Okay, so my first, I'm going to give you my blink Malcolm Gladwell answer was 6%. And then as I was sitting here mulling, trying to mull myself into, could I get to 11? Could it be a little more than 10%? <laughs> so somewhere in between 6 and 11% chance for me. Yeah, so my gut was to say 40% and then immediately go, Sarah, you just, you're, you, you can't keep doing this to yourself. <laughs> and and uh, to answer your question, Sarah, what do we yeah. think the odds are that she makes it to the South Carolina primary, to the voting in South Kakalaki? So here's the thing. So, so like I said, no path, no math. The one thing she does have is money. And I guess the question's going to be is like, what does 11 points behind Trump get you? And so today she's going to figure out if a bunch of money guys call her up and say, you got to hang in there. And if they do, right, it's easy for her to talk herself into, well, look, I can campaign for another month. Um, I just think the psychology of, and, and also she'll probably make phone calls to South Carolina. A lot of people she knows there. I will say no big names in South Carolina have endorsed her. They've all endorsed Trump. The opposite. Okay? Ralph right. Norman. Oh, yeah. Don't Ralph forget about Norman. Ralph Norman. Right. He, Insurrectionist Ralph Norman. So she has How, she had General Bulldog and Ralph Norman covering her insurrectionist flank. What are the chances Trump puts a hard press on Norman and gets him to retract? Very, I mean, much higher than hundred percent. Yeah. 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 And so, 100%, right? I, she goes down to South Carolina, and all the people who she came up with and who she she presided over as leader of the party in the state yeah. are against all of them. Didn't really I mean, like that her is, that much anyway, because she was like, you know, because a she was a woman, a minority woman who who jumped the line to win a primary, you know. So a lot of the old boys club folks don't like her anyway. That's right. Instead of dropping out now, I could see her dropping out three weeks from now. Um, cause I could, if she's got the money and it really is a question of what she's hearing today from donors, but if donors are willing to show up for her, like, and go make the case against Trump, I could see that being intoxicating, but I don't think if it looks like she's going to get hammered by 30 points that she ultimately pulls the trigger. I'll throw out another calculation that's just worth thinking about because I really, this is all just analyzing Nikki Haley's psychology. Like we're right. not doing political analysis here cause the campaign's over and Unlike Ron DeSantis, who still harbors delusions that he might be able to run again in 2028 and who still is the governor of a state, has real responsibility in jobs, this party very obviously is not voting for Nikki Haley. I mean, like her, her coalition last night, as, as Sarah mentioned, but just to put a finer point on it, was, not, uh, you know, 6% of the electorate was Democrats. She won almost all of them. <laughs> you know, 40% of the electorates was independents. She won two-thirds of them. And 50% and of the electorate was Republicans, and she got slaughtered. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely epically slaughtered. She did John Huntsman, John Kasich levels with with Republicans. Like none, like there was no signs of light there for her. So um, given that, you know, she's smart enough to know that like there's this isn't happening for her in 2028, right? So and and given Trump's behavior last night, which we can talk about. VP seems probably off the table. It's never, never on the table. Never on the table. Yeah, she's got nothing better to do. Great point, Sarah. Literally, like 
if she quits the race, we talked about this about the Chris Christie line, and uh, you know where he's like, you leave the governor's office, you turn the lights off, nobody calls you. I mean, that's her on steroids. Like she had every camera in the world on her face today. If she quits the race tomorrow, she goes back to Sullivan's Island to her new house with the, with her husband. She's an empty nester now, and she sits there. Like, and she's like, I don't know, making breakfast for herself and watching daytime soaps or what? I don't know. She'll like, what? be on like the board of Exxon Mobil in five minutes, won't she? I guess. Yes. Yeah, she yes. could call around. She has some yeah. Zooms with her business friends about, about be what boards. Cash money. Sure, but 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 it's not. But there's no juice in it. There's no juice in it. Nobody wants Connor to be CEO of a company or run a startup. There's nothing that gets her. Nobody wants to interview. Like, she's going to do nothing. Like, she'll have no, she has nothing else to do. And so I do think that that's an argument for staying around. Yeah. So just sit around being rich for no-show jobs. Who would want to do that? That's crazy. She could start a charity and, like, help feed school children. Near I'm not saying I mean, that there aren't other things she could do. I'm saying that I don't think there's anything else that she would want to do. I think mm. that her days would feel very empty compared to how they felt the last year. Yeah, because to run for president, you have to imagine that you can be president. When you imagine that you are president, you are thinking about, like, how will I engage with world leaders? And how will <laughs> I change the course of history as the first one? I mean, like, the levels of grandeur that you have to abandon – uh, I mean, and how I will think- I redesign the office on Air Force One? You know, <laughs> you know, I'm I am sorry, but uh, getting rich for no work and then being able to do meaningful philanthropy in your com- community with that money yeah, seems sure. like an amazing way to spend your life. One last psychology question on Nikki, and then we're going to move on to Trump. Okay. So, Sarah, you have always made uh, an analogy which really spoke to me, which is that politics is a lot like the high school cafeteria. And like when all of a sudden all the people you used to sit with at lunch shun you and turn their backs to you and you got to go sit by yourself, that that's a really powerful thing to people. And it shapes it shapes how they engage with the world. Tribes are powerful. Tribalism is powerful. That's where Nikki is, right? She has now walked into the cafeteria And all of these people, Tim Scott, Nancy Mace, Donald Trump, who she used to hobnob with and work with, they have like slid their trays over on the table and there is no seat for her. I would think that for most people, the reaction to that would be, fuck you all anyway. Like, I don't want any part of you, right? And yet, again, I just don't see that from her. I I would bet a watch that she endorses Trump and I suspect that uh, her campaign against him won't be all that hard over the next four weeks. Like, you know, she'll she'll poke a little bit, but she's not going to, like, make the argument that he's unfit to be president. And the like, what is the psychology? Bit, but yeah, what is the psychology of that? The the like, because here's the thing. She must realize they're never going to let her back into the lunch table. She's done. So this is what I wonder, though. So when you say she must know. I mean, I don't know. She must know that the Republican Party has lost its mind and doesn't want to elect candidates like her anymore. She doesn't seem to know that. Like, it's not you can just go look at the exit polls or the, you know, AP vote cast and see that the people who voted for her are not Republicans uh, and that that's not her base. And so if she could she could look at that and she could say, you know, what I'm going to do I'm going to do what Liz Cheney's doing and I'm going to sleep great at night. And she could do that and still be on all the corporate boards. Yeah. And. She gets to have her integrity. She gets to do the thing we know because Nikki Haley has flip-flopped so much back and forth. But she has condemned. <laughs> we know what she Trump. really thinks because she's we told us. We know that what yeah, because she's yeah. told us. 
And so she hates Trump. She does think he's unfit. It's fun and good and soul, like good for your soul to say the thing that you think. Um, and so that's why I always put it a little higher than you guys, just because I, to me, it seems self-evident that this club's never going to have you for real. Now, the question is, right, so, and Trump's torching her last night, and I was, uh, to me, that was meaningful, both how she spoke, which was harder than she has spoken before, which if you're about to drop out and you're looking for how am I going to make, that's, that's not what she was doing. She was sort of saying, you're going to have to fight me for this. Which, by the way, when he does, it's just another piece of analysis here on why this is so hard for her. Like, if she wants to be the one-on-one -on -one in the race and have all his fire, like, she hasn't really dealt with that yet. And when Ron DeSantis got it for, like, a month with old puddin' fingers, and that was it. He was done. He's broken. He was a broken yeah, person. Do you see the right. video of him with his kid last night he put up on, on X? I did. It was, like, it was like a whole new, it was just... It was unbelievable. It was like somebody that has just had the weight of a thousand anvils dropped off of their shoulder. Like his skin tone was better. Everything like was his, better. His little smile was like almost human. Maybe Ron DeSantis is getting some better help. A quick word from our sponsors. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, right after the new year begins, everyone starts talking about what they want to do differently in the year to come. But instead of obsessing about how you need to reinvent yourself, it can be much healthier to take a second and focus on everything you're doing right. That's why therapy can be so beneficial to your everyday routine, because it helps you find your strengths and expand on them, rather than make you transform yourself into something you're not. Hint, hint, Ron DeSantis. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you want to actually eat breakfast too. Therapy is a great way to identify all the good you're already doing and help grow those aspects of your life out so you can become the best version of yourself. It's improved my life and the lives of my friends and family around me, helping us all deal with the crazy world we live in. And if you want to give therapy a try, better help is a great option. It's completely online and was created to be convenient and flexible to your schedule. Just answer a brief questionnaire to be matched with a licensed therapist to start improving your mental health with the ability to switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com slash the next level today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash the next level. That was great. That's why you do the ad reads, not me. I got to say, why you're in charge of the we've reads. We've never had an ad be more perfectly targeted to the moment in the show <laughs> than us talking about how suddenly Ron DeSantis looks at peace with himself. <laughs> yeah, Nikki uh, Haley could get herself some of that. Some yes, of that peace, I, peace right. of mind. So, Tim, we're gonna trans. We're gonna move on to Trump in a minute. But you wanted to. I saw you chomping at the bit there. I also understand what you're saying um, about how you would think psychologically that Nikki would just want to go find a new table. And it'd be a nice table. You know, Sarah would be there. George Conway would be there. Adam Kinzinger, I, the great Kinzinger, Adam Kinzinger. I bet Jen Mitt Psaki Romney would have her on her show if she wanted to. She Pierre could, Delicto. You know, yeah, like it'd be a nice table. It's Our table's fine. But, that guy uh, is a foreign exchange student and he is wild. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't, uh, I don't know. I, I just, I, 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 I can't, I can't get inside the brain, uh, but I, I think it's just this, nat it's a natural pull, right, of, of just kind of wanting to still have influence 
within your tribe and not wanting to have to go through a, you know, a pretty serious identity shift, um, which, which I've, we've written plenty about, um, that, that requires, you know, looking at yourself a different way. So I, I don't, we'll see. I'd love for her to surprise me. I have friends, many friends who are in Haley world. I consulted for her in 2014. Some of them might listen, tell her to do it. Water's warm. Just do it. Fuck it. Go full bulwark. Well, so you're never going to be allowed back Bulworth, out anyway. This is your moment. This is, this is the thing, right? All of these people who have had the choice placed in front of them and chose not to take it, like Paul Ryan, who did this, yeah. uh, the, Kevin McCarthy, these got you buy yourself what? Another 12 months at the lunch table before they actually th- fully excommunicate you? This is That's like right. <laughs> you're dead with them anyway. Be part so, of the so, solution, not the problem. We're yeah, right here. That's right. Uh, all right. So the real problem. Hi, it's me. I'm the problem. Uh, Donald Trump with his speech last night. And I regret to inform you that at this performance, the role of Chris Christie will be played by Tim Scott, who stood behind Trump with that weird rictus forced smile of his. <laughs> and wow, that was uncomfortable to watch. I actually couldn't take my eyes off of Tim Scott. I I really do wish Trump had gone the whole hog and told him to go get on the plane. There was a moment in the speech where Trump is then the love. This is full dictator level groveling. And he talks about how much Tim Scott, how much you must hate her to have endorsed me instead, Tim. And Tim Scott like freezes for half a second and then says, no, it's just how much I love you. Did you watch the video of that where he like runs around to the podium to just shout, no, it's how much I love you. What an astonishing, I mean, this is like something from the death of Stalin. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you guys think? Did you also see when Trump was making fun of Tim Scott about his engagement? Nobody thinks Tim Scott getting engaged is funnier than Donald Trump. I will tell you this. <laughs> yeah. like, Donald, Donald Trump, Trump is laughing that this guy is now pretending to be straight and getting married in order to because he thinks that that'll make me pick him for VP. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have any co- thoughts or comments about his sexuality. I have no idea what's going no, I'm on. Just, and, I'm, not, and, I'm saying that this is what Donald Trump is thinking. Yeah, I know. I'm not but, saying yeah. that I am commenting on this. <laughs> Donald Trump's yeah. thought bubble is that. Yeah, I just I, whatever it is, Donald Trump is like I, in Donald Trump's head. This guy's like this guy is getting married to someone for me. He is shunning the person that appointed him to the Senate for me. I'm making him grovel in front of the audience for me. I mean, I... And he looks so happy to do it. He looks so happy to do it. Hey, Tim, tell them how much you hate Nikki, right? I mean, that's literally what Trump did. Guys, I I, I will say, sometimes you want to laugh at this stuff because it is like, it's like, the word gobsmacking, right? That, so that 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 fits. Except that it's so dangerous. It's like, it is so Damn scary right. to watch the way that people capitulate with such glee. And they do it, like, the thing about Tim Scott is that you can see him overdoing it, right? Like, it's not comfortable for him exactly. No. So he's overcompensating in this way that you can visibly identify. And you know... Like there's no lengths to which he won't go to help Trump because he wants he wants to be VP so bad. Like, and this is where people I, I've been wondering, like, well, what is the next five months about? Like, as Trump just gets coronated and whatever, the extent to which there will be a parade 
of leaks of, oh, they're considering this guy and maybe Marco Rubio and maybe Marco last night gets leaked. Yeah, sure. And I've also heard Ben Carson and, you know, they're floating names around. They're going to do this to the media. Everybody's going to get their little met and Trump is going to make them grovel and come to him uh, and just absolutely debase themselves to become his vice president. Tim Scott, did you not see the gallows? Did you not see (laughs) the fucking gallows? Okay. The prize is that you get turned into Mike Pence. Go look at Mike Pence. They wanted to hang him. him. They wanted to hang him. They're going to come for you. He's going to come. Why do you want this job? You're also in the Senate for what? Someone's going to primary you? You could just stay a senator for years. You didn't have to do anything. You could have endorsed nobody. You could have just gone home to South Carolina and gone to your favorite restaurants and hung out with your new fiance. Could have taken her on a little pre-honeymoon. You know, you could have gone to the beach. You could do anything. And you're up in freezing-ass New Hampshire like a... Like a damn theater kid trying really hard to get the lead in the play, going up there being like, please, Mr. Trump, love me, please. Like in order to get a job where he would be happy to have you dead if you do not go along with whatever insane illegal whim comes to his mind when he's the president or or when he's uh, the nominee, that's the job you want? Fucking, like, you're an idiot, Tim Scott. You are an idiot and a dangerous idiot. So I do wonder if these guys have really thought it through because so on the one hand, if you are Trump's VP pick and Trump wins, you are then placed in a position in which at some point he's going to ask you to do illegal things and you have to defy him or risk the gallows. Right. But if Trump loses you are then immediately placed in the position where you have to run around, no matter what the results were, testifying to the fact that Trump did in fact win. Right. And if you say that Trump lost, then you are unpersoned for forever. Yes. Like, what is the what is the prize here? What is the what is the crown that they think they get for being Trump's VP? I don't understand that. The painting on the wall of the White House, I guess. Uh, the 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 little entry in the history books when you know when you're on the wikipedia page of losing vice presidential candidates it's like tim scott is down there you know next to paul ryan and tim kane i i I don't i don't know i i I, that that is what they want but the the, the post-election thing is so important because it's not like you're the it's not like in a different situation mike pence i think could have talked himself into in 2016 that he would be the heir apparent it's like if I'm just a good boy, you know, if I just go along with this and do and and just kind of go along with the crazy, you know, eventually he'll either win or lose, and then I'll be the next one up. I'll be the good soldier. But we learned from Mike Pence that that's not that's not on the right. table for you, right? They're not going to be interested in you as the next in line. You know, David Fromm had this tweet that I have been thinking about since he did it, which was that Henry VIII killing his wives, like. People still kept, women kept lining up to be the next wife of the king, uh, despite the fact that he kept (laughs) beheading them. And I was like, that's true. Like, I guess the, like, there's something in human psychology that's like, well, it won't happen to me. I, with me, it'll be different, and I'll get to be or queen. Or three years I'll get of being be the queen people. is better than a lifetime of as being the peasant, I guess. I guess. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. All I know is, like, Tim Scott was particularly gross to watch, but I also saw Cornyn 
serious guy Cornyn uh, come out and endorse. We need to, you know, we need to coalesce around Donald Trump. Cornyn was flirting with conviction. Cornyn was on the kind of stretch list. He gave a couple quotes that were like, you know, he was he was noodling conviction. I bet he regrets not voting for conviction now. But here's the thing. I want to just say this. Donald Trump is a terrible, awful person. Uh, Unworthy of any office in the United States. But I will say, I believe anybody who endorses Donald Trump at this point is also unworthy of office in the United States. I don't care if it's Chris Sununu. Forever. It's forever. Like, it is an unforgivable thing to do. And for people who think this is a TDS, never Republican, you know, oh, we're off the edge. No, no, he didn't. He tried not to leave. We all saw it. And you, all you anti-antis at the time said, get rid of this guy. And then you all endorsed Ron DeSantis and you all talked about how Trump was totally unacceptable. We are not wrong here. And every Republican who endorses him, Marco Rubio, I don't care how normal they are in other circumstances. They are unfit and unworthy for office and they should all be voted out. Hear, hear. I mean, if you can't stand up to Donald Trump because you're afraid that he's going to try to get you primaried, how could you possibly handle the duties of commander in chief Yeah, and deal with questions, uh, for instance, of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and deciding whether or not you can risk sending aid versus whether or not uh, Putin would escalate, right? I mean, this is, these are problems that Biden dealt with early in the war, right? When Putin was, Putin, people forget, in the first weeks of the war, Putin was threatening to go nuclear. And so there's a whole debate over, well, geez, you know, Biden doesn't want to give him the, the, wants to give aid, but he doesn't want to give Putin the provocation. I mean, people don't remember this because it was a million years ago, but but this happened and Biden faced the dude down. Would you trust any of these people who who just won't say one way or another whether they're going to vote for Donald Trump? I would not trust these people to coach my child's soccer team. Like yeah. they're just unable to make basic moral calculations, like obviously. So forget war, choices of war. I had one other thing on Trump's speech last night. I just, because since I was negative Nancy at the top, I do. It is true that there were some signs of green shoots, not just in the votes, but in Trump's behavior last night. Right? Like, yeah. remember after Iowa, where it was like, oh, you know, let's go to the CNN panel where we have a, a former Mitch McConnell strategist talking about how sober Donald Trump has been and how he's really pivoting to the general. That's great analysis. I'm glad people are paying for that um, uh, over on CNN. Uh, but, uh, Last night, it was not that. He had Vivek on stage. I saw he had that. a weird guy. I don't even know who he was. Some weird, bald, white man shouting about the border and razor wire at the border on the stage. He's joking about Nikki Haley's dress, making sexist comments about her dress. I mean, it was it was totally petty, vindictive. I and mean, again, this is the same spot where, you know, Barack Obama gave the Yes, We Can speech following his defeat to Hillary just as a as a counter as a, as a counter option for what you could do following the New Hampshire primary and Trump was a gross child who was you know the messaging was all of his most extreme and unpopular positions and he was flanked besides Tim Scott by some of his most unpopular surrogates so that doesn't seem like a great choice doesn't seem like somebody that's pivoting to the general there obviously is softness and weakness in the numbers which we'll be talking about for months ahead, since it's going to be the longest general election in American history. 
I, I guess we all knew that that was coming, but like, I just think that it's worth saying, right? That, you know, the night before the New Hampshire primary, he's doing the weird QAnon thing. People in the crowd are chanting, or we go one, yeah, can we, we go talk all. about that, Tim? Yeah. So the night before, you know, can, how, can you, you, know can you explain Trump's the music speech, to people? Yeah. In Trump's speech, he's been having, like, in the middle of the speech, this operatic music comes on uh, in the background, kind of like an Italian. It's like you're in a movie where there's like mood music swelling in the background while the while the yeah, characters he talks are talking. about the great patriots and how we're fighting for the country. And he doesn't usually during that time talk directly about January 6th, but like the subtext is very clear, as is obvious by the fact that last or two nights ago now, when the mood music comes on, people in the crowd started chanting, "Where we go, one we go all," which is the QAnon slogan. And then started chanting, free the J6ers. By the way, not just like one person, many people in the crowd, which just kind of shows the familiarity with the QAnon like cinematic universe among the people that show up at Trump events. And Trump is like acknowledging them, smiling at them in the crowd, pointing at them, kind of pausing, letting the music crescendo while they chant where we go one, we go all. Then said, we'll do it uh, in response to the free the J6ers. I, again, like this is not the way to win back the Nikki Haley voters. <laughs> you know, having Vivek on stage is not the way back. So I, I do think that that, you know, that that kind of speaks to the optimist point, which I think that there's some legitimacy to, which is that I kind of the Haley voter right now has not been telling pollsters that they're voting for Joe Biden because they haven't been coming to terms with Trump. And like right now they're coming to terms with Trump and this is what they're seeing. And so I do think that that's of note from last night. I mean, the split screen of that and the Joe Biden rally where he's like, we're going to bring back Roe and unemployment's at 3.9%. And then you have like Trump with the mood music and where we like, we're going to free the J6 hostage. Like it seems to me to be a choice so stark that I can't understand how anybody could even be wishy-washy. Like, you just, you want one of those things or you want the other. That's true. Although Joe Biden pointed out Terry McAuliffe and said the real governor of Virginia, and I thought that was a huge mistake. I thought, I, I cannot believe that Joe Biden or his team thought it was ap- appropriate to make a joke like that. Like, either we seriously think it's really bad when people claim to hold offices they don't have or win elections they didn't win, or we think it's funny. Well, I think it can be funny when Terry McAuliffe doesn't claim to be the real governor, right? It, that's look. In general, I agree with you. Uh, if if I had it to do over, I'd rewind do it. it and not Don't do, do it. Don't do it. But on the other hand, you can argue that it it is ironically funny so long as the person you're joking about it with does not have any claims to being the actual real governor, because then what you're doing is just goofy on Carrie Lake. Don't do it. Let's talk about Joe Biden and Dean Phillips. Dean Phillips mm. got his ticket to ride. He did. He finished did he? with 19.6% of the vote, despite being the only name on the ballot. I was going to say, Joe Biden wasn't excuse, on the ballot. Excuse me, Mary Ann Williamson was on the ballot. She, oh. oh, there you go. She got 5% or maybe 44 So really, she was his Jill Stein. She, I mean, if Mary Ann Williamson had not been on that ballot, he could have been at 25% of the vote. That's what you're telling me, Tim. Yeah, for sure. He could have got that, a full quarter of the vote. Hmm. Um, what was Dean, Dean's analysis of his of his performance? Have you seen this? Please. Uh, he, he put out a he put out an X. I've built business hmm. and brands. That's a typo. I've built business and brands and studied the best successes in marketing history. 
never known one that generated 20% market share in just 10 weeks as we did last evening in New Hampshire. We're just getting started, exclamation point, American flag emoji. Love that free market framing. It's great stuff. I don't know what Dean Phillips is thinking. Does he still have a campaign like Steve Schmidt left? He's lost his mind. I think that he's been broken. He's a broken person. I think that he had some people in his ear telling him that this was going to happen for him, and he can't believe that it's not, and it's just crazy. I mean, he lost by 45% to write write in other. (laughs) (laughs) It's not even Joe Biden. It's just other. So uh, he's going to go to South Carolina, and I, for one, am eager for him to do a lot of public events in South Carolina because I am excited to see what the Democratic voter reaction to him in South Carolina is going to be. I am I am excited to hear the about hear the interactions he has with real salt of the earth voters in South Carolina. Did you see the thing where he had an event in New Hampshire and just nobody came? It was like him yep. sitting on the back of a truck and yep. it was a zero people and just reporters. My nightmare from a campaign. I had one <laughs> I have a bone to pick, a real bone to pick with Dean Phillips. Uh well, who's for starters randomly is like running a way more aggro campaign against Joe Biden than anybody did against Donald Trump except for Chris Christie. Thank you which, for which noticing. Which makes that. no sense. Yes. I, I I do think I literally think that had Dean Phillips, I don't think he would have won, but I think had he gotten in the race and had he done what Newt Gingrich did in 2012, which was just crush Obama every day and be like, wouldn't you love to see me on a stage with Obama? I don't think Dean Phillips is capable of this, but had somebody gotten in and crushed Trump every day and trolled him and went on MSNBC and just like made fun of his makeup and made fun of his hands. And like, I I think that Joe Biden might've had a problem on his hands because I think that some people in the Democratic Party might've started to look at this and be like, Hmm, maybe we need somebody that can satisfy that itch that we need of, of of punching this guy in the face a little harder. He didn't do that. He decided to get in and like complain about the DNC and sound like a like Glenn Greenwald. Like, and that was not it's not a path to winning the current Democratic primary. But I have one other specific complaint about Dean. I don't know if you did you see this? He had an event that nobody came to, and then across the street was a Trump event where there were a lot of people. And so he like took the press with him and went over to the line of Trump people and like hung out and talked to them and asked them what they you know, what their opinion was on things. And then he did a little gaggle after. And he said, you know, I just spent 40 minutes in line with these Trump voters and they have just real concerns. And and I don't know, the media and the Democrats and the elites all act like they're insane, crazy people. And like, I didn't see any crazy people. I saw people that had reg- legitimate concerns that, yeah. da, 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 da. And I was About just like, women being present because like, they might be on I, their periods. I was like, no, I was like, you're the condescending one, you gelato fuck. Like, I don't, nobody, nobody thinks that these people have like horns coming out of their heads and that if you just greet them in line and say, hello, hey, nice to meet you. I'm Dean Phillips. They're going to start dropping N-bombs or something. Like, I, like they're still humans. They're still human beings. Like, yeah. Some, as we learned, a lot of Donald Trump voters have some pretty gross views about certain things. Like, and and if you spend a lot of time with them and explore them, um, there are some things that like you will you will hear that will make you uncomfortable. As Sarah knows more than anybody, uh, the fact that they want Donald Trump to be president by itself is a pretty gross view. Uh, but like, they're still humans, and so I just hate this notion that it's like, oh well, I just the. Uh, the live the, the, in the bubble. Joe Biden doesn't understand that these people are real humans. Like, like Joe Biden gets it. 
Joe Biden treats them like humans. Like, who are you talking about? It's like just such a straw man. It's like, oh, I, uh, you know, maybe Joy Reid said something about them that I don't like. It's like, Joy Reid, you're not running against the craziest, most condescending liberal on Twitter, right? You're running against Joe Biden. So that just got under my skin. About well, Dean I'm Phillips. looking forward to Dean Phillips uh, starting to write for Barry Weiss once he once he gets that out of this That is his race. trajectory here. That is right. where this he is, sort of I mean, he's up. two steps away from becoming, like, vax curious. Yeah, well, Andrew Yang was on with Jesse Waters this week. And, oh, and he yeah, told Jesse right. that it was, uh, that the Jesse Waters' world was his favorite show on Fox besides Gutfeld. So I, mean, I think that's a, that's a trajectory that Dean Phillips seems to be headed on. Why wouldn't he? Why, though? This is my question, right? We see the whole world is going crazy. And why is it that all of the crazy, I mean, it's not all the crazy, like some of the crazy spins out into like pro Hamas lefties. But it seems like like if there's crazy in the world that the gravitational pull pulls them over towards MAGA. Why is that? Well, you just sort of dismissed, like, I, I think the Hamas crazies are like a real thing. and a Yeah, no, problem. I do too. But like Andrew Yang isn't heading in that direction is what I'm what I'm trying to say. I think that there is a big chunk on the right that allows people to kind of do the epox on both their houses. Like you can find sort of a warm reception. And that's why Barry Weiss can say, look, I'm never going to vote for Donald Trump. But like, let me just talk excessive like about the excesses of the left and I will find an audience on the right because that's where people land who feel like they're not for Trump, but they are against the left. And I think that there is not just a, a, a pretty good market for that overall, I think there's a really good news consumption audience for that, like a high info audience that likes that conversation. There's a world there for this Yang so that, he, that he doesn't have in the Democratic Party. Yeah, this is so smart, right? Just circling back on two points from this thing. Trump won 108 out of 110 counties so far. Some of those counties have college-educated voters in them, but they don't really like him. Like, he still has some of those voters. They have to cons consume news somewhere. They're not consuming the war room. They can't consume where we go one, where we go all shit, right? And so they need to look for something, and this is, this is a news place for it. I think that is one example. I think Sarah's right about that, and I think Sarah's also right. It's the cafeteria again. They don't know Tim Scott, Right? Like Dean Phillips has no reason to be disappointed with and angry at Tim Scott in the way we are. Like Dean Phillips knows uh, like his entire world is surrounded by elite liberals and some of them annoy him. And like that interpersonal annoyance in the lunchroom means like, I want to sit at a new table because some of these people annoy me. That's why he was like on a safari in the MAGA line. Right? Like he doesn't even hear or consume anything to get mad about in that world because he that he doesn't know. So I think I think that's the psychology behind it. And then he's shocked, shocked to find out that they're just people. I mean, I make this point a lot with the focus group stuff is that like you know, most people are like pretty normal. They talk about how they volunteer for their kids school and, you know, take care of their sick parents and that. And like a lot of them, it's tribal. I was doing NPR and I was on with the great Heather Cox Richardson, but she was kind of doing what I hear a lot of folks do. We're like, there's a white nationalist takeover of the Republican Party. And I'm always, it's always like a tough one because it's not untrue that there's a real white nationalism strain within the Republican Party, but it is not the dominant strain, right? Like the dominant strain is still made up of normal but angry 
people. And of course, what they talk about, they want to talk about is the economy and healthcare. And, you know, those are the things that like matter to them if you talk about issues or you say like, what matters to you? And then you um, ask them about the border and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, you want you want barbed wire and sharks? <laughs> like, where did that come from? <laughs> some, some, but not not everybody, you know, like there's, but what they want is for someone to take the border seriously. I think there's plenty of non-insane, legitimate concerns that people can have. Uh, I think where I have always deviated is on the solution being Donald Trump. Because if you're willing to say that to get the things I want, I'm willing to engage in all kinds of illiberal behavior, uh, then you are not a conservative. You're not, you don't believe in the Constitution and you don't believe in American liberal democracy. I, I agree with that. I just kind of that, that these things exist within the same people. Humans are complicated, right? Sure. Like a human that has legitimate concerns about the economy or the border or whatever, most of them that are voting for Donald Trump also think that Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. Like they've, they've also like on certain topics, their brains have been poisoned yeah. by, by, by the MAGA news media. And so it's like, you go up and have a question with them and ask them like, Oh, how's your kid's school? You know, and, or, Oh, like, you know, how was your last trip to the grocery store? Like the responses are normal. But then if you go up to them and like, what do you think about the voting machines? Then all of a sudden you're like, Whoa, where are you getting your news from? Yeah. Sarah, I have, a, I have a serious question about this. Do I take you all your questions seriously, JBL. It is still true that these very fine people are thinking about the, the, the normal concerns about things like immigration and the economy. Or do you think that they have basically offloaded all of the question about what they're going to be concerned about? to what Donald Trump is concerned about. I mean, and this is really like the, the question of the, the cult of personality is what I'm getting at, because my sense is that the dominant strain of the Republican Party now is really about personal fealty to Donald Trump and much less about policy concerns. And that while that may not have been true four years ago, certainly wasn't true, you know, like seven years ago, that was like 35% of the party. Four years ago, it was like 45% of the party. And now it's like close to 55 or 60% of the party. That is just that what they want is Donald Trump. And they then are, they'll just take anything that Donald Trump says. Am I, am I wrong about that? One of the reasons that it will be a, a bummer if we don't have a more protracted primary is that like if Nikki Haley ran through all the states, you would get a good calculation of what proportion of the party wanted a normal-ish Republican versus who like truly affirmatively wants Donald Trump. I just think it's more complicated than the way you just laid it out. And so I think that there is a big chunk of the party that is all Trump personality cult driven. Big chunk. And maybe that is your sort of 40 percent. You're always Trumpers. The people that Ron DeSantis was trying to wrestle but then you've got sort of your maybe Trumpers, which is another big chunk, who, you know, they kind of like the direction Trump is taking the party. They don't like Democrats at all. They want somebody who's going to be strong and tough. And like, at the end of the day, I've watched that group kind of drift back to Trump, but they were open to somebody else. They just didn't find somebody else they liked. And then there's sort of the active move on from Trump folks. And even a lot of those people have drifted back to Trump because they wanted to move on, but they didn't, they didn't find anybody they liked to move on to. They were the DeSantis curious people where they liked sort of the, the cultural stuff that Ron DeSantis was bringing to the party, but they wanted, and they wanted Trump's policies, but they wanted a person who was serious about policies and not a clown. 
anyway, I don't know. That's sort of how I think about it and break it up. But I also, something Tim said there is to the extent that people are complicated and you can't just easily bracket and bucket them, what Donald Trump doesn't do is like offend them to the point where they won't vote for them. Like I listen to voters all the time in the groups and you just a perfectly normal woman, sweet, just taking care of her, you know, has, has a couple of kids. That's the most important thing to her. Doesn't pay that much attention to politics. Doesn't watch the news that much. And this is, this is actually one of the big keys. They're not so engaged, right? They don't love Donald Trump or whatever. They're not that engaged in politics, but everyone around them is voting for Trump and says the Democrats are the worst things that ever happened. And they don't really like the prices at the grocery store. And they don't like that their kids are being taught like what non-binary means or whatever. So they're like, yeah, I'll vote for Trump. I think that's different than the people who are like desperate to turn out for him. Yeah, no, no, I would agree that there's a difference. I just, I'm, I'm just trying to visualize the pie chart in my head. And I, I feel as though that segment of the pie that was like just pure Trump cultism, which was about 35% or 30% in 2016, it feels to me like it's a lot bigger than 40% now. We had a very good field of candidates, right? We had all of the things represented, right? All of the choices for different flavors of conservatism. We had serious people of stature, people who are good politicians. And the revealed preference is that these people just wanted Trump. Did you think that we had good candidates? I'm not sure I agree with that. I thought you can't beat something with nothing and we got nothing. I think that other than DeSantis, I mean, Mike Pence is a former vice president. Former vice presidents are very formidable. They almost always win the nomination. Nikki Haley is a good candidate. Tim Scott on paper is a good candidate. Chris Christie, good candidate. You're an evangelical candidate. Yeah, sure. I, uh, but like, there were plenty of options. I don't know. Were any of those candidates worse? I hear what you're saying, Sarah, like, like comparing them against uh, uh, fake candidates. But like, were any of those candidates worse than Mitt Romney, who won the nomination in 2012 pretty handily? I don't think so. Mitt has a lot of strengths and weaknesses, but Mitt was not like a great performer, really or a perfect ideological fit for the party. Uh, you know, he was a pretty formidable debater. He got pretty good at that by 2012, uh, much better than he was in 08. But I don't even look at Ron DeSantis. I and mean, Ron DeSantis' campaign was horrible, and he was opponent. Like, there was a lot of different contexts. But just as far as candidate skills are concerned, it's not like Ron DeSantis was miles worse than Mitt. Mike Pence was about the same as Mitt. Tim Scott was a little worse. Nikki Haley a little better. Chris Christie way better. And you know what? This is a fair point in that I think that the rhythms and the expectations in politics have changed dramatically. I don't know that I think that it's that everybody's in the cult, sort of the way JBL saying. I do think people have decided they want charismatic personalities and not nearly as much policy talk. They want to fight, right? They want to not fight. Democrats. You hear it all the time. <laughs> well, I, right? Democrats have a policy guy. I don't know, man. They ask for a fighter all the time, too, in the focus groups. The Democrats do. Yeah, sure. And there's some differences between the parties. But again, Joe Biden won a nomination. Not a particularly yeah. strong candidate. Hillary Clinton won a nomination. Not a particularly strong candidate. Like, it's only recently that, like, we've come to this thing that, like, oh, you have to be an amazing performer to be the nominee. I mean, George Bush wasn't that good. John Kerry wasn't that good. This is my point, is that he changed the yeah. expectations. So what I'm saying is, like, it's less that I just think they're a cold. It's that they've come to crave the circus, the fun, the accessibility. This I always try to mention this because I think I hear a lot like Trump made politics accessible and interesting to people who otherwise didn't feel like politics was accessible to them because they didn't like boring policy speeches. And 
they like when Trump beats up on his opponents and makes fun of like trans athletes. Great. That's a good time. Good show. Incredibly long show. We'll only do these long mega shows following meaningless primaries. So, you know, don't don't worry. You've got at most one of them left. Uh, head over to the Bulwark and sign up for all the free stuff we give you. Go listen to our podcast. Check out the YouTube stuff. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.